0: This is Cat's Corner, the podcast. I'm your host, Ristikato G'day. In this episode, I'm going to introduce myself and tell you why culture means everything to me. (music) Greetings, 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 good people, and welcome to Cat's Corner. I'm so excited. This is the second iteration of this particular podcast. Um, I recently decided to uh, take a step back from a radio show that I had on a community radio station in D.C. And I did that because I wasn't feeling like I was doing enough to make the monthly, you know, showing pop. It was a lot of work with everything that was going on. And I didn't necessarily think that it was um, that it was being as effective as it could be. Oddly enough, now, now that I've canceled it, everybody's contacting me. So I guess that comes with the territory. Anywho, I've had a podcast before, I've had several, well, not several, but a few podcasts before and there was one called Cats Corner and a lot of it dealt with me, you know, talking to other creatives and having them share their processes. And so I was recently introduced to Anchor and listened to a couple of the podcasts that are already swirling around and it was really just bowled over by the ease of which, um, I could create these podcasts cause that's usually an issue for me. And then also just how fearless everyone is in presenting content that is real for them. And so I really wanted to bring Cat's quarter back and be more transparent and honest with it. And so that's why I'm doing this. My goal is every week to have a new episode for you. So I'm going to, um, Bust my ass and make sure that that happens because I think it's important to have some consistency, and that's something that I always struggle with. So, this episode, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about me so you get a sense of what you're dealing with and you know why you want to you know listen to me on a weekly basis. Um, as the name suggests, I am Nigerian American, or as the name and the accent suggests, um, I was born here, but both my parents are Nigerian, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I am of, dual, of a dual culture and heritage. And I think it's a big part of my identity. It really does frame how I see the world. So my parents immigrated to uh, D.C. actually in the late 60s from their home country of Nigeria, as in, you know, with anything, they were in search of a better life. My dad came first and then my mom followed shortly thereafter. And as a kid, um, we eventually settled in Miami, in Florida, in Miami. So I remember my mother would always tell me that she wanted to have her children in America because she knew here she, they could be anything that they wanted to be. She also felt that as a girl child, I had a better opportunity to be free and, um, I could explore as much as I wanted to, um, compared to if I'd been born in Nigeria. So there were limitations and expectations that she felt I would, that would be placed on me, uh, in, in Nigeria. And so coming here and waiting to have children until she was here was something that she always spoke of. It's something that, um, that now that I travel to Nigeria, often I get, I understand what she was trying to do. And I'm really thankful because it does, you know, my life has been pretty amazing as a result. I didn't have a lot of time with my mother. So she died in 92, um, at the, I was 19 when she died in, she died in Lagos. And so there'll be a podcast about that, I'm sure. And while I didn't have as much time with her as I would have liked, I definitely think that my mother left a mark. She was probably one of the most generous people that you would ever meet. But she was also like mean as hell. Like if you crossed her, you were going to catch it. And she really had very high expectations for us as her children. And so um, some of the way that I move is a direct result of having her as a mother. Like we, there were strict rules about, you know, how you, when you get, when you're up, you're up. None of this lingering about and nobody was allowed to sleep late. So to this day, I still get up early, which is annoying. But um, I miss her. I miss her a lot. I think about her a lot. Um, I'm ever thankful for the fact that, you know, I got to spend some time with her. Um, and when I think back to a lot of the things that she told me and a lot of the things that, that stick with me because she kept repeating them, I, I really see what's, what. I understand that she knew that she wasn't going to be here long. And even that understanding is something that I take, uh, great pains to, um, to acknowledge, you know, when nothing is guaranteed. So you might as well live your life as full as possible. Um, and because of her and my pops have been afforded a great deal of opportunity. And I get to live a life that when I think of my mom and her mom and, and you know, her mom. So when I think back through generations and I think about the women in my line and I think about all the limitations that might've been placed on them, the ones that I know about and the ones that I suspect were there, um, I get to be the most amazing version of what their wildest dreams could have ever been. And what follows behind me with my 10 nephews and nieces I have that I call pumpkins um, is an even freer space. And so I'm always aware of the people that I, that walk with me. I'm always aware of the time frame that I get to live in. I'm also always aware of how much freedom I actually have, um, when I think about their lives and what they, what they would have experienced in that in saying that I'm also hyper aware of the fact that I am a black woman living in America and there's a lot of weight that, that carries on a daily basis. And so growing up when you're growing up in two cultural spaces, sometimes there's tension. And one of the things I learned very early on as a kid growing up as an African kid growing up in America was that. There was a lot of tension between Africans and African Americans, and I didn't I didn't understand initially where it came from. Um, I was mercilessly teased um, all through school, like from second grade on, and it was often by black kids. And so I didn't understand why my skin complexion was an issue, or why you know I was a terrible dresser. I'll give them that. I couldn't dress for shit, but. Um, there were always these things that were being pulled out as a reason to tease me. And the big thing was me being African. Like that was the big thing. They would, you know, disrespect my name. They would ask me questions like, do you have a tail? Or, you know, they had these, these ideas about Africa that were just completely ridiculous. Um, but I think the thing that hurt the most was that it was coming from people that looked like me and I just didn't understand it. My parents were coming from a place that definitely admired African-American culture and style and music, but really wasn't familiar with the history. So, you know, while there were things that my parents mimicked and, and, and ways that they, they, they appreciated black American culture, there was definitely a uh, legitimate gap in their understanding of what it meant to be African-American. And even in the understanding that had it not been the movements and the and the protests and the resilience of African Americans, a lot of the um, protections that immigrants have right now under the law are largely due to that to that community. At the time, we didn't know this, you know, um, on the flip side, you know, you had the same sort of feeling. So you had sort of anti-immigrant, anti-African things. My parents were, you know, would experience all kinds of weird sort of interactions where they'd be told to go back to where they came from. or And at the time, because I was growing up in Florida, particularly Miami, everyone would just assume we were Haitian because at the time there was a huge mass um, effort by refugees from Haiti to come, you know, who were seeking protection. And it was not lost on me at the time how Cubans were allowed to come and would be given refuge. And if you were Haitian, you'd be sent to Chrome Detention Center. For those of you who are um, from Miami, from South Miami, you know what I'm talking about. Um, South and North Miami, you know what I'm talking about. And there was this constant, you know, uh, understanding that these black people, not going to get asylum. Cubans, who I didn't necessarily think were white, but some some did identify as white, were definitely lighter. And so it was easier, I think, to make this case and, you know, the the history with Castro. So there were all of these, these discrepancies that are happening as a kid that I don't understand, but I know are wrong. I don't understand what's happening with, you know, why people say we're Haitian when we're not. I don't understand why people who look like me are kind of pushing back against me. And I think this is, you know, a lot of this is what led me to becoming a culturalist because culture is really just some agreed upon behaviors that you know as a community people are you know sort of stand behind and even in a space where there's fractured culture where there are practices that some don't think are right and some do there's still this understanding this this group you know this group understanding of a particular set of rules and as a culture architect i i look at the world and i see where there are cultural practices that are just kind of jumbled into each other and how they serve as belief for some people. And in some cases, what you find is that culture can limit our ability to see past our versions of ourselves and others. Um, and it can also be a testament to the abilities of people to weather the storm. So you have this interesting dichotomy of, you know, it can be a way to close ourselves off, but it can also be a way that shows just how innovative we are. And I think what comes from all of this is, you know, can be beautiful um, and uplifting and inspirational and at the same time, cruel, oppressive and downright ugly. And so as a kid, as I'm, you know, when I think back to all of the stuff that I was dealing with, I just, I was fed up, you know, I found it tiresome. I didn't understand it. And it really wasn't until I go off to college and I take an African American culture class that I start to really understand what it is that is going on. W.B. Du Bois is Souls is a black vote. I'm not going to lie. Everyone should read that book. I know there are people who have a genuine distaste for Du Bois, but that book for me changed my life when he talked about the veil, this metaphor for what it means to be black in the world and how this distortion, this distorted view of blackness is what's driving a lot of the conflict, like you won't see me for who I am as a person. This distorted view, which you as a white person may have to use to justify your terrible treatment of me is what you want to hold on to. When I read that and then he goes on to talk about double consciousness and that Negro versus American, that idea of I am a black person and there's a certain culture um, and, and history that I, that exists within me. And I'm also an American. And so I'm due certain citizenship rights and certain access to resources. And those are constantly in conflict because the world that I live in wants to sort of tamp down on my Americanness and, and, and use my blackness as, as, as something against me, that thing changed my life. Like I, I felt like I had finally found the words to articulate what my existence was like. And, you know, what you find is that when you are a child of immigrants, sometimes you end up with like a triple or quadruple consciousness because there's a game that you have to play inside your house versus outside your house. And then outside your house is a game you're playing with your friends who, who are of the same culture. If you have friends of the same culture and then the friends who aren't like the way that you're constantly negotiating yourself and your identity, um, because you are dealing with everyone's distorted view of who you are is is tiring. It's, it's, when I think about it now, I just, whew, that was a lot. There still is a lot, but at the time as a kid, not knowing that was a lot. But I think learning about African American culture, being exposed to the history and understanding that the transatlantic slave trade is really kind of what creates this diaspora and which kind of pulls us all out into the world in this very, um, brutal and traumatic way, it just put me in awe. Like I remember reading about the Anna Julia Cooper's and the Ida B. Wells Barnett's and the Maria Stewart's and the Frederick Douglasses and just being in awe, like sheer awe of the ability to not only make it through an enslaved system but be able to come through it and say, yo, not only am I not going to put up with this, I'm going to learn this language that you forced on me. I'm going to write in this language and I'm going to tell you what's wrong with it. It just, yeah, I mean, I was just in awe. And while initially I was a pharmacy major, I'm not very good at science. And so I eventually made that shift to African-American studies at University of Maryland, where I ended up in College Park and Yeah. Once, once I'd made that shift, like everything opened up, like it just made sense. Like I didn't know that you could study culture and then I found out that you can. And I feel like I've hit the jackpot. Like it's the most amazing experience ever. I had some really great teachers. I had some amazing, um, sort of insights and epiphanies. And I got a chance to really explore like being able to read James Baldwin, the fire next time and go watch someone process their experience in that way, it gives you, well, for me, it opens up the possibility of what can be, you know, when you're in school, you're constantly being taught to follow these rules, to look at these people. These are the people in the canon. These are the people that, you know, are the respected, you know, highlighters. These are the folks that we study because they set the tone. And then you go read James Baldwin. And this is a man who's like, look, I'm gonna tell you what I think. And the the sheer gift that he has in his ability to write, is unparalleled in my opinion. I don't think anybody's writing like Baldwin. I don't care what anyone says. And his observations and his analysis, like it just, it's 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 fascinating because what it shows you is that your thoughts, your viewpoints, your the way that you think has value. Like you don't need to reference other people when it comes to your lived experience. Like no one needs to sign off on that. And the more I read the more engaged I became, the more I wanted to study. And so I ended up going to the Ohio State University. And this time I decided I wanted to study African literature because literature has always been the place that I I feel most comfortable and the place that I find the most peace. And so I studied African literature and history and kind of buttressing that knowledge with what I was learning about African-American history really helped me see things a bit differently. And what I, what I see and and what I'm able to, to understand is that there's this black thread that is wrapped around this world, like a thousand times over. And so someone in São Paulo and someone in Louisiana have a lot in common, even if they don't speak the same language. And those same people can connect with someone in, you know, Germany and someone in, in Amsterdam, you know, like there's, there's ways that, um, we are all connected, even if we don't want to acknowledge it. There are ways in which we're all connected. There are things that are inherent in that black thread. And so, when I call myself a cultural architect, I am looking at that black thread because I see it as my responsibility to not only remember and honor the blue printers and the happen makers, but to highlight a lot of the things that go on without notice, or highlight the things that are um, that are that are underneath the controversy. There's so much going on. And there's so much that we give our attention to. And then there's so many people that because they're the loudest ones in the room, get all the attention. Meanwhile, there's some quiet wisdom happening over on the other side. And so I'm always looking for that. And at the same time, I just love being black and I love black people. So I want to be, um, I want to highlight as much as I can. I want to share as much as I can because I do think it's important. And so each week, this is what I will do. Um, sometimes there'll be scripted portions, you know, because I really want to get it right. And then sometimes I'll just be freewheeling it, but every week I want to be able to share some of the insights of, of what I've experienced or the observations that I've had. I want to create my own blueprint for whoever comes behind me. And at the same time, I want to honor the folks, you know, who've already told us this is what it is. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to close out this first episode. Um. And we're going to close it out with something that i'm calling the ep gems. and so each episode i want to at least be able to walk away with three things whether they're suggestions insights whatever just three gems three takeaways i think to help solidify um the episode but also to hopefully give those of you that are listening some tips just especially if you're a creative you know to manage this creative life because it's a bit crazy Um, so in closing for this first episode, I have three that I really, um, that I really felt kind of helped me think about how I wanted to introduce myself. So the first one is, um, mind your childhood. I think that even a lot of us have had really good childhoods. A lot of us have had not so good childhoods, but I think that there are moments, even if they're mundane moments where there's been a little bit of joy. And I think that. Before the world gets super complicated, before we're thinking about bills and adulting, there are these places that we can go to, to remind us of what it means to have joy. Um, and if it's not in your childhood, you know, maybe it's later in life, but mind your, mind your memories, I should say, and find the, po- the pockets of joy that you've experienced and go to those when you need them. Because... As the world gets madder and sillier and crazier, um, we're going to need as much of a boost as possible on a regular basis. So, you know, whether it's that time that you went to the beach, you know, with your family and, you know, your dad that you bury him up to his neck or, you know, that moment you share with your grandmother, um, in church, like let's not forget that we do have pockets of joy. We have to dig for them. And we have to keep them in a nice little space for us so that whenever we need to pull them, we can. So that's the first, the first gem. The second gem is a little ritual that I, that I do. And you'll find that as we talk and as we, um, as we, as these episodes progress, that ritual is a big part of who I am just because I love a good ritual child. It just makes, I think a good ritual makes everything better, but they're like shortcuts and ways that you can, you know, use your energy to boost yourself, especially when you're feeling drained. So get a glass cup and make it like your cup. And this could be your blessings cup. You can call it your joy cup, whatever you want to do. This is your cup. And I want you to use this cup to symbolically pour into yourself as often as you need. And this could be a way for you to remember and ground yourself in your day. It could be a way for you to kind of push back some anxiety it can be a way for you to work through, you know, something that's traumatic whether or even just something that's coming up. So maybe you're scared about a presentation, take your cup, fill it up with water and you know, that's your courage cup for the day. The other thing you can do is with that cup, get a piece of masking tape and write down whatever energy or feeling or uh, emotion you want to drink in. So whether it's joy or whether it's courage, or whether it's, um, you know, strength, you write it out on a piece of tape, put that on the um, on the glass jar and you just keep drinking until you feel that. Uh, I think water magic is really important because it's really easy. It doesn't require much, um, but it's also a great starter way to understand and to own your magic. So that's my second gem for you. The final gem is something that we'll, I'll probably say more than once because I think it bears repeating Take time to look in the mirror and tell you yourself that you love you. It sounds weird, but I work with clients sometimes. Um, and what we're dealing with in their creative process is a genuine issues around insecurity and and self-worth. And so I use this as a way to um, help them sort of find the love for themselves first and foremost, because the bottom line is, you know, You got to love yourself. RuPaul said it, you know, if you don't love yourself, who who else is going to love you? You have to, you have to do that. And I think that you should be your first love. Like you should own that space for yourself. And so go to the mirror and just say, I love you. Like look yourself in the eyes and say, I love you. Like not in some sort of pass, you know, passive, you know, just flippant way, but like legitimately look yourself in the eye and just say, "I, I love you and tell yourself that as often as you need. And I think that will kind of help, especially in those moments where you are judging yourself too much or feeling like, yo, I don't know if I can do this. So those are the three gems for this episode. I want to thank you all for listening. I'm really excited and I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, what else comes of this. It this actually felt really good. So hopefully you enjoyed it and you know, feel free to leave comments, feel free to share if you think it'll help someone. And with that, I'm out. This culture ain't gonna build itself until next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Cats Corner podcast. To find out more about me, Rest day you can log on to www.lilsoso.com. That's L I L S O S O.com. And feel free to follow me on social media. My IG and Twitter handles are at Cats Corner Co k-a-t-s-k-o-r-n-e-r-c-o and you can also follow lsp at lsp underscore on the go talk to you soon